1: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
3: Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooded.
2: But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas.
0: The CIA really need your help, Gene.
2: Freeze, Americano.
3: Gene, run!
2: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hi, and welcome to the
0: podcast. I'm
2: Scott Benjamin.
0: And I'm Bolin. Just ben bowling. Bowling. Oh, very nice.
2: I was <laughs> going to say, just bowling. What are you going about, like Madonna or something? What's the... One
0: name, very Ka- slick. Yeah, kind of like uh, Samson. Sure. <laughs> oh, okay, better. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it Take it back. I mean, I would trade Samson for Madonna. <laughs> but we're not talking about either of those people, Scott. We, uh, if you can't tell from my awkward attempt to make a secret agent joke, that did fall a little flat. Is <laughs> that what that was? Oh, you're like, what was that? Was that a joke? Sorry, oh. piling on. I thought jokes were funny. (laughs) But, but, uh, we're doing, we're doing another podcast from this excellent Christmas gift. Yeah, it was, it's automotive mysteries, myths and rumors revealed. And it's got
2: so many fascinating stories in it that we just can't seem to stay away from it recently. I mean, it's got great, great stories. I mean, it just kind of,
0: they grip you. Yeah, from Ferrari burials to, Possible concept cars of the future lost at sea. Yeah, the Norseman. Yeah, yeah this is this everything. Well, this
2: think. is a similar uh, similar angle to it
0: as mm-hmm. the uh, as the Norseman story, right? Yes. So we're all familiar with James Bond, right? I think so. Is that a fair assumption to make yeah. for our listeners? Yeah. Okay, and if you are familiar with James Bond films at all, then of course you are familiar with the iconic. Aston Martin sports cars.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like uh, every single James Bond movie is uh, I don't know, that's one of the one of the stars of the movie really is the uh, is the Aston Martin cars that he drives or mm-hmm. even any cars that he drives really. but uh, the Aston Martins have always been there from the very beginning and uh, and this goes way back to the beginning, right?
0: Yes, this goes way back. We're talking about the Aston Martin DB5 sports cars that were used in the filming and promotion of the films Goldfinger and Thunderball. Did you see those, Scott? Uh, You know, (laughs) no, I
2: didn't. No, I didn't. I'm I'm not a huge Bond fan. uh I've watched a couple of them recently. Uh-huh. and uh it's, it pains me to uh to reveal this but I haven't watched every single James Bond movie. I've watched parts of them because they have fantastic stunts, yeah, amazing great action sequences and lots of really cool gadgets and all that. Um I I've watched the the recent ones. I haven't gone back through the whole history of James Bond and watched from the beginning.
0: You know what? How about you? I don't blame you. I have seen I have seen every James Bond film. Really? Yeah. Well, I I grew up with uh, station that's called TBS, and so TBS and USA and those those kind of uh, stations went through a uh, big James Bond phase. So, so I saw uh, most of them. I saw them growing up. My one of my favorite things, of course, for a guy like me, is the gadgets. The gadgets, especially the ones in the vehicle. Yeah. And I always wondered, as as a wee tyke. Whether or not they actually worked, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to touch on that a little bit here because when we're talking about the Aston Martin DB5, yeah, thing,
2: and yeah. and because it comes from this book, you might assume that you know there's something kind of there's something up with this there's car, right? Now the twist is that the legend, as it goes, is that. Um, these cars were stolen. One of the cars was stolen. Mm-hmm. One of four. One of four. We'll talk about that, too. But one of four was stolen as part of um, an insurance fraud scheme, right? Yeah. And uh, the assumption is that it's it was dumped out of an airplane somewhere off the Florida coast, and it's out in the ocean even right now as we speak. Just there, south of the North, Norsemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and we'll find out, you know, if, if maybe that's true or if, uh, you know, if they even mm-hmm. find out anything, really, if there's any leads in this thing, because, um, it's, it's quite a
0: twisted story. Yeah, and I've got to, just so we know, I think this, I've said this four times off air before we started filming, but I do have a surprise. Oh, okay. For you here at the end. So it's got to be the very last thing, though. Looking forward to it. So one more thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a one more thing. And, um, for a lot of people the first question is going to be hey guys why four cars? Yeah, it's a good question, right? It's a because really good question. Because
2: a lot of people would assume that there's just one car that does the, you know the duty for the whole movie or right. or maybe there's you know several because you know they they want to have them just in case there's a crash or whatever. Right. That's not necessarily the case, but uh in a way in a way, yes, I guess maybe. Yeah, um, it's ha- partially true. Partially true, but but the 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 reality of this whole thing is that um the, there were really two cars for the movies. Yes, and there were two cars that were actually in the film. In the film, a total of four cars, and we'll describe this, I mm-hmm, promise. But mm-hmm. uh, there's one car that um they would call the beauty car or the star car. Yes, and the star car is uh, is the one that you know the uh, the talent um, who was at the time Sean Connery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Connery as James Bond um he would uh he would appear in this car for like all the close ups and all the uh all the driving scenes where he's actually behind the wheel not the stunt driver this is where he's actually driving you know talking to somebody whatever deploying gadgets exactly so this is a uh this is a very clean very well put together car that has all the bells and whistles and everything operates the way it should be. And it is modified. And it is definitely modified. Yeah, this one has got all of the stuff in it. It's got, you know, the, uh, it truly has like the oil slick dispenser. It, it truly has the machine guns. It has the, the license plates. Yeah, the license plates. The, uh, the, the, uh, the phone that's mounted in the door. <laughs> yeah. um, all kinds of really cool stuff. But the problem is now, you know,
0: this car for the close ups, it's got all the stuff. It's very heavy, right? Because let's keep in mind that a lot of this stuff actually works, like that revolving, uh, that revolving license plate. Isn't that cool? Yeah. The, the James Bond car originally had all these gadgets that really did what they what they that they said they did, or that they they appeared mm-hmm. to do in the movie. And so when this is all added to the vehicle it makes it so heavy that it changes the handling and lowers the acceleration
2: rate. Yeah and for a you know a, a secret agent like James Bond he doesn't want to be uh, you know right around town in a dog of a car right so they've got a <laughs> a, a very lightweight um, version of this a, a an unmodified car really it's just a standard DB5 and it's called the stunt car. Exactly and the stunt car is just meant for the driving scenes that you know the high high performance scenes. Right. Um, anything that the uh, you know, if Sean is driving, it's it's passing by at high speed, and you don't see all the extra um, stuff that would be in the star car. Mm-hmm. So the stunt car is much lighter weight, um, not quite as heavy, and uh, it just it doesn't have it later later in life. This thing would be fitted with all the Bond gadgets, but right. after the movie. So you know, it wasn't until like these movies are done because there's a pair of movies that we mentioned. Uh 1964 mm-hmm. Goldfinger and then, and then a follow-up in 65, which was Thunderball. Thunderball, that's right. And um, so later it would get all the gadgets, but initially the stunt car was pretty stripped down, pretty bare. So
0: those are the two cars that were actually in the film, what we'll call the star car and the stunt car. And then
2: later there were two more cars that were built. Uh This is for the 1965 movie Thunderball. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were used strictly for the publicity tour. Yeah. Uh, so, anything, anytime they were uh, sent out to film premieres, you know, mm-hmm. like around, around wherever they happen to be, around the world, really, uh, television appearances, photo shoots, anything like that. Right. Uh, a couple of these additional vehicles that were just strictly for promotional purposes were used. So, we're talking about a total of four Aston Martin DB4s at this, or DB5s rather, at yeah. this point. Um, funny slip there, because the db4 the the original this kind of comes into play later Mm -hmm. um the star car the the very first one that they made was actually the prototype db5 that was made from a db4 from the previous model version so this this car in aston martin history becomes a very valuable piece of it's a very valuable piece of automotive history it was actually the prototype db5 that was used in
0: the movies and it's kind of it's it's an important car out even outside of the james bond history there too yeah a lot of because people, of the aston martin a lot, of, a lot of people just
2: love this car because it has connection to the movie connect, mm-hmm. you know it's of course it's a part of automotive history with aston martin being this prototype vehicle and people just fall all over themselves to to get to see these cars to get to be around these cars yeah. even the ones been that weren't in the movie which is kind of strange <laughs> right the ones that are just the publicity cars because they have this association with james bond and to be honest, Ben, these are just really cool cars.
0: I mean, they're beautiful vehicles. They are, you know, this is going to come back to bite me up later on in the podcast. But, Scott, we're going to run into a guy who agrees that these vehicles are works of art. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> but uh, so we'll we'll get up to that point. For right now, what we want to underline here is that people love these cars after their film careers are over these vehicles end up in private hands.
2: Yeah, and they've all got, and I think we should definitely state this, that they've all got a chassis number, and that's how they were yeah. identified from the factory and through this historian that went through and decided that, you know, he, or not decided, but... but uh, determined mm-hmm. that uh, that you know this was the star car, this was the stunt car. These were the two promotional vehicles, right. and they've all got their own chassis number, and so they're they're very clearly identified. At some later point, this all happened, right? Someone yes. Took, someone took a good long time to do this. I mean, uh, it,
0: David Worrell, I believe, okay, uh, Bond enthusiast and author, he has a book about the Bond Aston Martins called the most famous car in the world the complete history of the James Bond Aston Martin Db5 now I haven't read this book Scott I haven't either but it's a bold statement it is a bold statement the I most, would I would love to check it out the most famous car in the world.
2: Really, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. There's at least one person who will argue with him. I'll tell you that because I'll tell you about her in a moment. Yeah. Um But okay, let's let's get back to this. That uh, chassis numbers. Now the the chassis numbers, and you know, we know which car is which. And I've got there's an article that states you know each one, and you know which what. Duty it served on on the uh yeah. on the film or, and the
0: line of ownership afterwards. Exactly,
2: yeah. There's a long line of ownership. As a matter of fact, these things trade hands often. They go to auction quite a bit. Um, so there's you know it's no secret that they're passed around quite a bit. It's not like the original owner, the the studio owns them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're passed around from you know private collector to private collector, and a lot of times they remain anonymous. And you know some people right. display them in museums, so you may see them on publicity tours, things like that. And uh, and that's kind of where this guy comes in. Now, in 1986, so you know, there's been a long line of owners of all of these cars at this point. But in yes. 1986, uh, the Star Car, the uh, the main vehicle that was used in uh, in Goldfinger. Yeah, that's the one with the gadgets, with all the gadgets, um,
0: was sold at auction to Anthony Pugliese. Is that right? Yeah, let's go with Anthony uh, Pugliese, Anthony V. Pugliese III. Yeah. I'm I'm not. Comp- 100% on that pronunciation, okay. but. He's a, uh, let's just call him Anthony. Okay. Anthony,
2: uh, was a resident of Florida, and he bought the car for about $250,000. And this is in 1986 again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a quarter of a million dollars. And it has a lot of money to spend on a car, but, you know, this thing has a lot of history to it. It's an Aston Martin for one. I mean, that's really cool. Um, he and his brother, uh, his brother in law, I should say, his name was Robert
0: Luongo. Mm-hmm. And they decided, you know, they treat this as an investment, which I can really respect. Sure. They take the star car on a tour, and yeah, like a whirlwind, mm-hmm. worldwide,
2: really publicity uh, tour. Yeah, like a promotional publicity tour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying. What are they trying to
0: do with this? They're trying to uh, trying to build up the value of the car, right? Right, and thinking that they would be able to sell this at a profit. Yeah, o- over 250 grand. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they're trying to—they buy it for 250. They figure mm. they'll promote the heck out of this thing for as long as it takes, and just build and build and build the, you know, the 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 uh the level of excitement around this car and they did that i mean this uh it's successful i mean the guy uh robert longo i guess he uh he's the one who really toured with the car and he would set it up he would set up the entire display he would uh he'd bring he was in charge of handling the vehicle they call it wrangling he would wrangle the vehicle in and out of you know whatever display that it was being set up in or wherever it was the show oh
0: i'm sorry we got to point out this was a long tour I, because they got the car in 1986. Yeah. We don't know exactly when they began the tour, but it wasn't over until, you know, the 90s. Yeah, the late 90s. We're talking
2: 1997, so this is like an 11 year Tour now this guy is traveling with this car at, at all these exhibits like the Peterson Museum. Sure, he goes to all the you know the big the big time shows and 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 museums to display this car mm-hmm. and of course people love it because it's a,
0: a James Bond car right and the gadgets work. I can't. I'm never going to let go of yeah. that. the you know, gadgets work. Can I can I tell you something about the gadgets though? Yeah, I,
2: I don't mean to burst your bubble. I know but, they don't uh, all work. No, but... no, no. That's not that's not what I'm getting at here. I'm got a uh, i have got ai got something from another article here that I want to get to in a moment. But uh, one thing that I want to say about the gadgets is that. Uh, um uh, let's see oh the uh, the star car, the original star car, the one that they have yes. now after the publicity tours um Aston Martin took control of the vehicle again at some point you know I'm talking the publicity tours from the movie itself oh yes, so way back in the the uh, the late 60s, 60s early 70s um, Aston Martin, Retrieved the vehicle. They stripped off all of the weaponry at that point. They they removed everything that uh, that made it mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 uh, while well, the gadget you know encased vehicle that it was. You know it had gadgets everywhere, right? Right. Uh, they took all that off and they sold it. And then it was uh, restored. They completely restored the car. They re- and then later it was retrofitted with non-original weapons in the 1970s. So the car that Anthony. Uh, Puglis and and uh, Richard Longo. Richard Longo were, were touring with was a retrofitted uh, vehicle. It had retrofitted gadgets. Now mm-hmm. the gadgets okay. may have operated, but they're not the authentic 1967 or 1965, whatever the year was. I forget. Yeah, my um,
0: bubble um, remains unburst. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> That's okay. I,
2: <laughs> I, I I totally agree with you, in that you know they, they're still there. Yeah. All the gadgets that were there are still there, but they're just not the original at um, this point in time. At this point in time, so. I didn't mean to, uh, you know, to, to shoot that down or whatever, but I, th- I figured we'd better get that little point out there.
0: Yeah, and it's it's funny because uh, this is another, this is just an interesting thing for everyone to tell their friends when you guys are talking about this story, right after this podcast. Do you know how long the Aston Martin DB5 is actually on screen in the James Bond films? No, I have no idea. It's nuts. How long? Just take a guess. I'm going to guess uh, thirty minutes total. You know what? Not a bad guess. 13 minutes. Thirteen. Less that's than half of what I guessed. Yeah, that's 13. So that's how long it takes and, to and the most famous car in the world. And it
2: created that much of an impression on people. Heck, yes, it did. It's that's, got machine guns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course it did. Yeah, that's an amazing car. And so
0: I just wanted to point that out. But now we're really getting to the meat of this because uh, the attempts to raise the car's perceived value via promotional tour appears to work. Yeah, Totally worked. Yeah, because the the car, surprise, surprise, which was purchased for two hundred and fifty grand, is later uh later appraised by Grundy Worldwide Incorporated for four point two million
2: dollars. That's amazing. And you know what? Here's the the other crazy part about this. Now, now Jim Grundy, who is the insurance insurance agent. Who, uh, who actually set up this policy with uh, with a company called Chubb Insurance, mm-hmm. and uh, that's actually eighty percent of the appraised value of the car. So they appraised the car at twenty uh, percent higher than that, even. So oh, four point two yeah. million represents eighty percent of the appraised value of the car when they set up this wow. policy. So they had really uh, they had really done quite a job in promoting this thing, right? Yes, amazing. And, and we're up to, what, 1997 at this point, right? Uh, yeah, we now, are. Now, something bad happens in uh, in 1997, and uh, this is where the controversy comes in.
4: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
0: Right, this is where we, this is where we start to run directly into the legend. Now, the, what's interesting about the way this is written in the book is that they say that the Aston Martin is stored at a warehouse, but that's not completely accurate,
2: is it? No, not exactly. And this is what caused a lot of confusion for me. I, I th- Just this morning, I had to come in and dig up some more information, which really cleared things up, and I'll, I'll share it with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the book says that uh, it, was, it was stored in a Boca Raton, Florida uh, warehouse. It wasn't Boca Raton. And it well, but it, it, it w- truly was Boca Raton, that's right. Uh, but it wasn't a warehouse, bin. What was it? It was an aircraft hangar. And that makes a huge difference. Right, uh, and the reason is because um, here's the, the story as it is in the book and the way that you know everybody generally knows this is that the car that was stored in this uh, this hangar was stolen in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very forcefully. I mean, it wasn't very gentle at all in the way right. that this thing was the, stolen. This
0: was a forced entry. The padlocks are cut. The security alarm is deactivated. Yeah, there
2: was a gate that was yanked off with a chain and a truck. Uh-huh. Uh, they hooked a, a they think they they hooked a uh, a chain up to the axle of it and just drug it across the ground until they could re you know bring it out into uh, you know an open area uh-huh. and uh, this is where this jump in logic happens they say at that point it was loaded onto a plane
0: yeah and this is interesting because the kind of plane that it would have been most likely loaded on the kind of plane that could get in and out of there without some remarkable uh, spectacle, right, mm-hmm. is probably going to have some difficulties carrying a car of that weight.
2: Yeah, it would have been just kind of like a mid-sized plane, right? Right. A cargo plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the thing that really got me about this is mm-hmm. that... When they, when they made this jump from, it was towed out of this warehouse and put onto a plane at that point. And I was thinking, how did that happen? So, <laughs> I, I, I went into this other story because they do mention another story from another, another author. Yes. Um, and there's another article that is called, and it's from a, um, it's from Motor Trend, right? Yes, yeah, from a Motor Trend article that, that was published back in 2006, uh, in May of 2006. And it's called, um, 1965 Aston Martin DB5. Uh, now pay attention 007, one of your Aston Martins is missing. <laughs> so, um, this article yeah. by, uh, what's her name? Mary Sealhorst. Uh, she, she's the one who first of all cleared up that it was a hanger, not a warehouse for me. Uh-huh. Uh Because in the book it says warehouse. Uh, so the hangar thing, that makes more sense that, you know, they're already at the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but the idea is that it was put onto a plane. Uh, sometime in the middle of the night just flown out somewhere over the coast of Florida off the coast of Florida about 75 miles and the car was just dumped overboard somewhere into the ocean it's part of some you know natural reef now at this point right right The uh, man-made
0: reef and we have an episode on uh, man-made reefs as well for anybody interested yes we do it's one of our deep cuts you're going to have to scroll through the iTunes now I know
2: this is getting a little confusing can I just yeah. so, so the idea is that this thing is so it's Bought for two hundred fifty thousand, and the value's
0: raised uh, to what around? I guess around six million at that point. Well, for
2: yeah, something like that, about that total, but it's insured for four point two million. Yeah, stored in an airport hangar. One night, when no one sees what's going on, none of the staff or anything, and there's supposed to be twenty four hour security here. Exactly. There's this really like, I mean, this would have caused a lot of commotion. I mean, the the type of theft that this happened because they could you know see that it was drug. You know, across the floor, there are tire tracks. Yeah, tire tracks, that, and and so this thing was stolen, loaded onto a plane, yeah, flown somewhere, and uh, and it's never been seen again. It's it's it has completely disappeared. And I I would think that you know if it was somewhere on land, this thing would have
0: mm. turned up by now. And here's where our stories begin to divide, because there are some people who say that they believe the vehicle was dumped in the ocean. Sure, yeah. And that it's part of the reef, as you said. Uh, originally, when uh, Anthony P., uh, our owner at the time of the theft, was talking about it, he said uh, several things. I've got some quotations here. He said, first, he said, it's really kind of wild that someone had the nerve to steal it. And he's talking to the Boca Raton News. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with it? I think that's an excellent question. I often wonder about that when it comes to... Um, you know priceless works of art that are stolen it's like where are you going to where are you okay. going to fence that buddy all right
2: i've got a i've got well this is actually coming from this article but it's a good point it's one that i had also thought of as well what's that that uh that you know aside from you know insurance fraud which would have been which would have paid off handsomely on this thing and it and it did we'll find out um yeah. There's also this this kind of group of people that you know, like a, a car collectors. These maybe obsessed car collectors. Ah. This thing could be just sitting in someone's house. It could be in a in a living room somewhere or in a basement, and and some collector just every day goes down and sits behind the wheel of that thing and Ooh, says, slightly polishes. How cool! I've got the James Bond car, I'm and you gonna know that's, go, I'm going to go to bed now.
0: That's funny because one of the other Aston Martin DB5s, one of the other four. Uh, was owned by a guy, a uh, Mr. Lee, I believe, who did actually keep it in this themed room. Oh, I didn't with know the that. Charity events and stuff. Hmm. Well, and also, uh, Anthony Pugliese uh, Puglis probably agrees with you. His theory was, uh, why would anyone go to all that trouble, you know, and just steal it and dump it in the ocean? I'm quoting here. <laughs> this might be offensive quote yeah. to some people. Uh, Puglis says, I believe it is still sitting in some Arab sheikh's tent. Really? Which is not maybe not the most um correct way, politically correct way to say that kind of stuff, but obviously he's a little irritated, right?
2: He's uh, alluding to the fact that it may still be on dry land somewhere and, and that just it's, stolen. And that it's just stolen, some some collector who really appreciates this thing is uh is just looking at it every day saying, I've got this and no one in the world knows where it
0: is. And if they had those sorts of resources to steal the like, they'd have to pay off the security guards first off. That's one thing. Sure. Uh, then they'd have to charter a flight with an aircraft that was capable of carrying this thing without
2: being able to be traced. Because um, you know, one one thing that we need to mention here is that you know the uh, the Bogota police, and as well as. Uh, As well as Grundy. As well as Grundy, as well as Chubb Insurance with their own investigators. Mm -hmm. Uh, they went out and they immediately canvassed all of the local airports to find out who had, who who had, you know, chartered a flight. Mm -hmm. Any planes that were capable of doing this type of thing in the area. And they, you know, investigated those. I'm sure that they had a good, you know, hard look inside those and made sure that there was nothing in them, around them, or evidence of this type of thing happened. They
0: offered thirty thousand dollars as a reward
2: for information. Quite a bit of money. That's right. So um, you know that's that's a decent reward. Um, also, you know, just everybody. In, I mean, everybody would have to keep their their lips shut about this thing. I mean, you know, you couldn't. Yeah. And that's the hard part. When you get more and more people involved, someone's going to talk.
0: Yeah, it's like that. Bad. It's like that old uh, quotation three people can see, keep a secret as long as two of them are dead. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Bit. So, uh, M- Mr. Grundy, there's some tension here because Mr. Grundy says, I think that car is a pile of deteriorated aluminum in the Gulf Stream off the coast of Florida. He said, I can't prove it, but I'd bet on it.
2: Yep, and here's the guy that has to pay out $4.2 million, right? Because, right. Uh, because he has insured this thing for that much. Now, later, Ben, mm-hmm. later... Um now I guess we should just say that you know the the insurance policy after all these lawsuits and everything happened you know there's a lot yeah. of tension there um a lot of you know what happened they eventually did pay they paid the 4.2 million and this the case to this day remains unsolved mm-hmm. and there's a lot of tension now between mm-hmm. Um the guy that uh the guy that was you know touring with this car, what was his name? Uh, oh, not, uh not Anthony, but Long- um Longo? Robert Longo. Now Robert says that you know he should be entitled to a certain amount of money, like a uh, like it was like ten percent of the value of the car mm-hmm. plus his time for you know all the time that he had gone up promoting this thing. Oh yeah. And uh, so you know a significant portion of this uh this four point two million dollars. And I think he eventually was awarded some money. Actually mm-hmm. quite a bit of money. Um and as a matter of fact, Ben, this is where this all comes together, and I, I encourage people to read this article because it 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 ties all this up really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the Mary Sealhorse article from 2006 Motor Trend. You can find it online; it's it's pretty easy. Um, she says that uh, later, you know, because she was uh, she was somehow involved in this, Ben. She was mm-hmm. she was related to this story in a way that she worked at the Henry Ford in. Detroit, when they came for part of the publicity tour, ah, and okay. uh, so prior to 1997, and I think it was three years prior to that, or no, I'm sorry, maybe it was in 1997, uh, but in 2000, I think it was the year 2000, she was called to testify uh, for the prosecution, and the prosecution really what they wanted was, and she she comes clean about all of this right at the end of her article. Um, so in April of 2000, she's in she's in the courthouse because she had met with these characters and you know was interested in the story and you know knew knew one of them, um, yeah, knew Longo, did not know Anthony uh, pugliese Uh, the prosecution wanted was her opinion. She said, um, and I'm reading from the story here, uh, the attorney asked me if I thought the Goldfinger Aston Martin DV5 was really the most famous car in the world. And she says, no, I think the most famous car is the Lincoln Limo President Kennedy was shot in, or was assassinated in. And he says, well, you know, the, The attorney asked why. It's just because it's a great unsolved mystery mystery surrounding the event, and the car remains constantly in the public eye. It's on exhibit. You know, it's there at the uh, Henry Ford. Right. Um, It's in the Zapruder film, which a lot of people, you know, see all the time. It's in dozens of documentaries, books, and movies all the time. So it's her... Uh, you know, they were just asking her if she thought that this was the most valuable car in the world mm-hmm. and what her opinions were about it because she had come into contact with one of these characters and then just so happens that she's writing a story about the same vehicle. Um, well, she had written this story, I should say, yeah. four years prior. And that's why they called her because she had this connection
0: with him. I've got something for you that's going to be an even weirder connection. Well, what's that? And it's a tangential connection. What's that? Uh, in one of the. In AP's report, 1997, June 21st, report about the theft of the vehicle from Boca, Uh there's this interesting quotation. I'm just going to read it to you, Scott. All right. The car belongs to collector Anthony Pugliese, who also owns the gun Jack Ruby used to shoot Lee Harvey Oswald. What? Uh, what a tie-in. What huh? a weird tie-in. Yeah, That's like, that reminds me of the thing, uh, you know, when people play the coincidence game and they... Add up all the coincidences between Lincoln and Kennedy, yeah. or the night before, and you know, of course, you can find coincidences whenever you decide you want to see them. There's that whole Bader Meinhof syndrome. That's amazing. You found? How do you dig that up? Well, these these are just some of the original like news reports from when the theft occurred. Interesting. And um, I've got I've got that surprise. Well, I'll
2: tell you what. Why don't you wait? Because um, yeah. I just want to say that you know there was a, there was all this tension
3: yeah.
0: you know, oh, between yeah, yeah. Uh, right. between
2: them and. Uh, and the thing is, like, I think he got. Um, oh, here's the, here's what um, Luongo was actually awarded. Uh, I think it was just over a million dollars. They said he got ten percent of the insurance money plus half of um, plus half the 1966 one point two million uptick in the appraised value of the car. Uh-huh. So he actually got quite a bit of money. Um, the the jury only delivered it, deliberated like forty two minutes or something. They decided that you know he was the one who you know had done all the legwork on this thing. He deserved a, a cut of the pay. A mm-hmm. lot of the people that you know where they displayed the car, they didn't even know the owner of the vehicle. They only knew um, um, the guy that was you know on tour with it, the, the brother in law. Now at that point, now here's the the thing: like they're in court, and you know they're uh, they're battling this thing out. Yeah. And uh you know there's a couple of the funny thing is a lot of people would assume that there's only one motive here, right? The the motive would be insurance fraud. You know, the, the money, right? Yeah, that's still an assumption though. It's not proven. No, it's not proven. And, and the crazy thing is that it wasn't the only possibility. They say that, um, you know, by then the two were, were no longer brothers-in-law. So apparently there was a divorce in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and they've been at odds about how to deal with the car the entire time since then. You know, cause at first they had to kind of deal with each other because they're a family. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they work things out, you know, according to way you know the families do that kind of thing often um, but at this point they didn't care they were just uh, they were at odds all the time and uh, so so it could have been you know there's a little bit of jealousy involved or some revenge involved sure, yeah a little bit of spite and uh, they also you know the other thing is you know even in the court I think they threw this in is that there could be this unnamed collector out there somewhere, that has it. And I kind of, I kind of like to believe that maybe that's where it is. Yeah, me too, Scott. I, I like to think that, you know, I'll be 60 years old someday and someone's going to, you know, that somehow this thing's going to resurface. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of questions, you know, that are asked to that person at that point. But I, I would love to see this thing resurface. It's
0: going to, it's going to resurface maybe in the North Korean Museum where they show gifts from around the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there are, Car, I think there's a train in one of those museums. Really? Your train car. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, so, okay, I so love that. A real life Bond villain, like a Bond level super villain, may have stolen the car. That's really cool. And there's this whole mystery involved around it. So, you know, the the, the legend from the book, you know, that it
2: was stolen and dumped off the coast of Florida, it's unproven at this point. I mean, we can't, we, you can't say either way until they find the car or, you know, somebody speaks or, you know, pipes up that, you know, I know the details about this. And I think it'll always be kind of like a, um, like a D.B. Cooper thing. Like a lot of people claim that this is what happened and they investigate it for a mm-hmm. while and then that just kind of trails off into nothing. And then, you know, there's another case, you know, five years later and the same thing. So I think this this story has a lot of the same element to it.
0: Now, we should point out that the the reason we talked about whether or not Aston Martin is a work of art there is because the appraisers, when they appraised it at such a high price, part of the reason was that they saw it as a work of art. So yeah. that's why i brought that line in there. as
2: possibly the the most valuable car in the world remember or the mm-hmm. most uh, what was it the, the most the, famous the most famous car in the world and that's exactly why they brought in the author of that motor trend article to say hey do you think that this is the most famous mm-hmm. car in the world you you work in museums you write for an automotive journal you know a
0: publication mm-hmm what do you think and she said no i don't think that's the and most she, famous. she instead proposed a conspiracy theory about the assassination of JFK <laughs> which you know in a lot of circles won't do much for the credibility no probably not but uh but you know what there's a there's a
2: lot surrounding that car that makes it i i think i think she's onto something i think that maybe yeah. i was trying to rack my brain over what i thought was the most famous car in the world and i think that maybe she's exactly right with that
1: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Right, right, right.
2: Now, please,
0: let's hear the secret. I'm dying to know. So this is one more thing, right? This is one more thing. We should get some theme music for this, too. Uh, okay, so one more thing, Scott. I did a little digging into... Uh, Mr. Anthony V. Pugliese third. Okay. Uh, I still am not 100% on pronunci- pronunciation of his well, name. Well, you've
2: already shocked me with the gun ownership thing.
0: Uh, <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Uh, the, from, from our earlier podcast? Was no, it, today, that? just now. Ah, uh, yes. Well, it's true. 2006, October 16th. Uh, Mr. Pugliese is in the news again. Delray Beach developer Anthony Pugliese charged with money laundering and fraud as part of a scheme to con Subway founder out of one point two million dollars. Wait, so okay, Subway restaurants? Yeah. Fred DeLuca, founder of Subway restaurants. He's trying to cut, so he's
2: trying to pull some kind of con on the owner of the Subway franchise, Subway sandwich franchise.
0: That's the charge. Oh my gosh! Oh wait, excuse me. That picture was from two thousand six. This is a more recent story. The, um, the idea here is this, uh, that for years, big time Delray Beach developer Anthony Pugliese padded his pockets with subway mogul Fred DeLuca's money, say investigators, creating fake companies and phony invoices. To bilk this founder out of nearly 1.2 million, that's supposed to be going toward a 41,000 acre green community south of Orlando. Well, 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 you know, this is uh, this uh, okay. Now, now, of this, course, this is not saying that he stole the car. Oh, come on, Ben. This, <laughs> uh, this is uh, this
2: is a case. I mean, this is one of those cases where, like, you look at the you know, current behavior, you look back at the past behavior, and what he was accused of and, and charged. This kind of this is right along the same lines, right? I mean, yeah. insurance fraud. Versus, mm-hmm. uh, what is this money laundering, or what was
0: this whole thing? Right, so the idea is that the um, <clears throat> the idea here in the charges are that, yeah, he was laundering money and pretty much swindling uh, Fred DeLuca. So it's like an extortion case, really. He's... We, the charges against Pugliese, who, check this out, over the years has become a political force in Palm Beach County and sits on the committee that nominates local judges... Stem from a $5 billion lawsuit he filed in 2009 against DeLuca. $5 billion, billion dollars. with a B. Hey, man, when you like money, you like money. Oh, my gosh. This,
2: uh, oh, Ben, I, I can't tell you this. If I had known this ahead of time, I, know. I it's almost like you'd want to point the finger at him even more. You know, for, for I know. The, for so I, I didn't battle.
0: think it was fair to point it out at the beginning. Probably not. So um, there was an arrest. Uh, investigators are saying that out of the... A, a $111 million, million, Scott, that DeLuca invested, uh, $6 million was set aside for expenses related to the properties, and the investigators say Pugliese blew through it in two years. Uh, let me just give you a, an example. According to the arrest report, Pugliese and an employee at one point discussed the creation of a fake invoice to subsidize an $11,000, get this, moat chiller. For waters surrounding Pugliese's expansive home, the two warm waters were causing the fish inside the moat to die. Oh, my gosh. So that's how much a moat chiller costs, if you've ever wondered. A moat chiller? I've never even heard of that. It's an it's an interesting <laughs> thought. It's a different world. Yeah. So also $79,524 for a high-end audio-video system. Wait, wait, wait,
2: wait. He's got a moat around his house. That's interesting. That's cool. Um, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. Go no, ahead.
0: you're fine. 23587 for bush hog payments, um, lawn care services for puke lease, um, 6100 for a zen house. Uh, it's a, I guess it's a structure where you meditate. Um, in total, he says he received uh, $21,571. And uh, these, these charges are... I I didn't see how this conviction worked out. Um, And I do want to say that without knowing how the conviction worked out, perhaps it's already been through court. So these are alleged.
2: These are alleged. Just for the purposes
0: of our podcast, I don't feel that it's fair to say that he stole, like that. He did fraud without Aston Martin or that he built the subway founder. But I will say that. He's in the news two times for both the, for these things, similar things, decades apart. The choice is yours, listeners, um, and we don't feel that it is slant. We, we don't feel that it's slanderous to report what is being said in the news on public record about this guy. We we feel that it would be unfair. To, I feel that it would be unfair for me to definitively say that he did either of these things. A moat though. A moat chiller. That's interesting. Off. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Does it change your mind a little? It
2: does change my mind. It, you know what? I'll I'll tell you this. It changes my mind completely. I now I always thought it sounded the the story sounds really dirty to begin with. You know the, the theft of this car and the way it you know yeah was removed in the middle of the night with it should have been spotted by somebody at the airport. There should have been something going on. I'm sure there's a payoff going on there. Right. It just seems like there's a, a lot that was, uh, was unaccounted for during that one night when this thing was was going down. Yeah, a
0: lot of if there are coincidences, it's quite a few
2: coincidences. Yeah, yeah it sure seems like that. And then, you know, for the for the uh, you know, for them to insure the car for 4.2 million or have it insured for this excessive amount of money. When, yeah. And, you know, the insurance agent later said I should have only insured it for 500,000 or a million. I it was my mistake, but you know, they came to him asking for this mm-hmm. and you know then to have this thing disappear it just seems like it's just all a little bit too clean a little too set up you know for, for me and then later you know a decade later to hear about you know something like this going on yeah th- to me this just it just points a finger at somebody that you know is involved in some, some stuff that maybe they shouldn't be
0: so you're to saying it call. calls into question the character he's, uh, he's a little too close to a lot of bad things that are happening I think alright well we're gonna go ahead and, and get out of here today. Guys, we hope you enjoyed one of our podcasts on some more mysterious car stories. Uh, please do write in and tell us, what, what do you think people should write in
2: and tell us today? Oh gosh, anything if there's a you know car mysteries all around, I mean we, we've got you know a few examples that we've done in the years past, right right? I mean, if you look at our, our RSS feed, you find a lot of those and you know we like mysteries around you know Halloween so look around those dates. <laughs> um, but if you can think of any uh, any car mysteries that you'd like to hear explained or, or maybe at least just even brought up and you know if there's no answer, that's fine. We just like
0: to talk about them. Yeah, we have a lot of fun with these, you guys. So please let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook. Drop us a line on Twitter. We definitely read both of those. Or, you know what? Cut past the social media middleman and send us an email directly at discovery.com
3: For more on this and thousands of
1: other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to
3: podcast. At howstuffworks.com.
2: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
3: Gene. Gene Fodor. Gene was wounded.
2: But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene.
3: Freeze,
4: Americano. Gene, run!
2: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on
0: the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to
1: announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where Anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as that 70s show and that 90 show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far.